dedication and introduction of the king of the golden city an allegory for children this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by maria therese the king of the golden city an allegory for children by mother mary loyola to the children of america dear children Many years ago I dedicated to you Jesus of Nazareth, a big book which some of you may have read, and now I am offering you a small book about a small person, in whom I hope you will get interested. Do not let her name frighten you. Delecta, you know, means beloved. Now a name is good if it expresses exactly what a person or a thing is. You will judge if Delecta is rightly called beloved. The story was written for a little friend of mine who wanted a tale with a hidden meaning which she was to find out. At one time or other we have all played at hide-and-seek. I have done the hiding here. You will do the seeking. The two letters of Dionys I think you may like to see just as they were written. Perhaps you will wonder why I dedicate the story to you rather than to her. For the same reason that the big book was dedicated to you, because it is for you specially. You are the children of a big country. You have big things to do in your lives, and I hope that this little book, as well as the big one, may help you. If I loved your country and its children before the Great War, much more must I love it now. Our men have fought and suffered together. They have died side by side. We must live hereafter in closer friendship, helping one another still. And so, dear children of America, I dedicate my book to you. Introduction Although we are accustomed to associate the idea of allegory with oriental and scriptural habits of thought, there is, for instance, a beautiful example in Psalm 79, in which God's dealings with Israel are compared with the solicitude of the master for his vineyard. Still, from the very beginning of English literature, this figurative manner of speech has taken root among the people of Anglo-Saxon race. Almost the greatest masterpiece of the first period of our language is The Dream of the Road, commonly attributed to the poet Seinwolf, circa 800 A.D., and though it ought not perhaps in strictness to be called an allegory, still it consists essentially in a sustained personification, which is very closely analogous in the impression produced. In any case, a great part of the poem known as The Phoenix, also attributed to Seinwolf, is unquestionably allegorical. Such, for example, is the description of the land where the phoenix dwells. Winsome is the wold there, there the wields are green. Spacious spread below the skies, there may neither snow nor rain. Nor the furious air of frost, nor the flare of fire, nor the headlong squall of hail, nor the hoarfrost fall. Nor the burning of the sun, nor the bitter cold, nor the weather overwarm, nor the winter shower, do their wrong to any white, but the wold abides ever happy, healthful there. In later medieval literature, allegory abounds. The famous Roman de la Rose is one vast allegory, as is also the still longer Pelerinage de la Via Humane by de Goulville, and so again is the best-known medieval Scots poem, The King's Quare. That landmark in English literature, the vision of Piers Plowman, might be called a conglomeration of allegories, and those most exquisite gems of Middle English religious verse pearl cleanness etc have frequent recourse to the same device one may take almost at random such a passage as the description of the lamb the master of the heavenly jerusalem 
Delight and great marvel stirred my mind as I strove to picture that lamb aright. Best was he, blithest, and most surprised, that e'er I heard described in speech. So winsomely white was his array, his looks so simple, himself so calm, but a wound full wide and wet was seen, and I his heart through the sundered skin. I lay stress upon these points, because it is important to remember that those aggressively Protestant works, Spencer's Fairy Queen, and Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, have only borrowed their method of treatment from examples familiar during many centuries to our Catholic forefathers. Consequently, Mother Mary Loyola has also the best sort of precedent for the line she has followed in this her latest book for little ones. No doubt, if we find allegory so prevalent in primitive literature, it is due to a sound instinct, which has realized that the mind of simple, uncultured adults, as well as that of little children, loves every sort of make-believe, is keen to hear anything that sounds like a story, and is interested in all that seems to give life to inanimate and abstract things. Every comparison halts, and no allegory can long be maintained without betraying flaws and incongruities to the critic who is keen to detect them. But the child happily is easily pleased. He needs only his wooden gun or his sword of lathe to feel every inch a soldier. When the reins and whip are in his hands, he is not troubled by the fact that the steeds prancing before him have only two legs each instead of four. Hence there is no reason to fear that in Mother Loyola's allegory, the lacta's unusual position of isolation, or the absence of ceremony which marks the visits of her king, will cause unfavorable comment. On the other hand, we may be quite sure that the many little effective touches which carry their lesson of self-knowledge and self-control will strike home and bear fruit, making Christ's little ones happier here below and smoothing their way to heaven beyond. I somehow cannot help feeling that a book which was sketched out and almost completed in the early days of recovery from a severe illness, when the author had received the last rites of the church and had stood face to face with death, must have a special blessing attached to it for all those young readers for whose guidance and virtue it was so painfully written. Herbert Thurston, S.J., Feast of St. Lawrence End of Introduction